You know, I have great confidence in our youth. Great confidence in our young people. I think Paul and Emma are doing a great job with them. I really do. I'm proud in the, in the Lord, I mean. Not proud as in arrogant. Proud to be able to say, you know, we have a youth group that's spiritual. So many youth groups just put activity on and programs to keep kids. But our kids have been developed and they're spiritual. They're making good decisions and choices and they pray and the it's good that's good that's cold raising a generation not entertaining a generation so you know be thankful that we've got key people in the house who can work with your people we your, with your work with your children sorry the grace to work with your children in areas that you're not graced amen you're raising your kids there's no doubt about that and you're doing a good job one day when you bring them into the church they're still yours they'll always be yours but we get them for a period of time. And in that period of time, we take it very seriously. Your kids are our treasure. Hey, your kids are our treasure. Whether they're up there, in there, or over there. We do not babysit your kids. They are our treasure. They're our lifeblood, our legacy. Amen? So please always be mindful of that. Last week in our series, we talked about in going from pure... Sorry, from clean to pure. We talked about possess, uh, sorry, remaining in the vine, the courage to remain in the vine, or the restoration that comes from remaining in the vine. I can't remember what I actually entitled it now. Was it pure? Sorry, re- thank you, Chris. Restoring purity in the vine. We said that purity is only restored and only maintained by re- remaining in the vine. Jesus said, if you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask anything you want. He said, but apart from me, you can't do anything. A branch that doesn't bear fruit is only fit for what? Throwing to one side and burning. But the branch that that allows itself to be pruned is cut back and it even produces even more fruit. And that's the only way we can keep our lives on a constant course of going from clean to pure. And there's one thing that I said to you a while ago that... God will get under your skin and you'll feel uncomfortable. And I'm seeing, that's exactly what I said. I've seen the word of the Lord out of my mouth come to pass. It's making some of us feel uncomfortable because this is what purity does. Whenever God puts, or whenever the doctor puts an antibiotic into your system, it fights and it goes after that which is causing the body sickness. Does it not? Well, when you've got a virus called impurity, it fights the body and shuts you down. So when God's word is allowed to come into the system, it fights the, anti, you know, the, the, the resistance. And after a while, God's word will always work, providing the person gives it some room. You always have the power to shut it off. But those who let the word come in, it will fight the impurity in your life and bring you to a state of purity and and then you're free. But it's got to attack the system. So what's happening right now is I'm seeing the word of God attacking the system. And it's good. You think it's not good. Feels flipping awful inside. Hey, that's good. That's called flipping awful is good. In Mancunian, it's good. Amen. So... We believe that in Ephesians 2 verse 8, 
we saw that that was the starting place. In other words, the gift of faith that was given to you, you did not do anything. It was given to you so that you could receive grace and favor and faith to enter into the kingdom. So you did nothing to start this purity process in you. All you said was yes. But the faith to believe for it, the grace to enter it was given to you free. True? But now you are clean and and washed and forgiven. That's called a clean slate. Now your sin's nature and your habits have to change and come into alignment with God's will. Because even though you're forgiven, you still have an old nature. And the old nature resists. So every time God puts his word inside us, it goes like the antibiotic. It goes after the old nature. And the old nature fights it. And whoever wins gets the the territory. But the more we let this word in us, the idea is that the word is meant to take take the domain in in our lives. Takes dominion in our domains, amen? So we've been given Ephesians 2.8, but now we are progressing into the kingdom with this truth, this purity. And Matthew 13, last week we looked at Matthew 13 verse 24, and we saw the picture of when some fell on the, on the soil, meaning seed, when it fell on different, different types of soil, there was different reactions. And then there was, in this parable, you see that some of them fell asleep. And as they fell asleep, the enemy came in and sowed seeds into their lives. And what happened was, you then begin to see the wheat and the tares. And the man says, shall I go and separate them? And the answer came back, no, the end of the age will separate them. So we said was, if we're in the vine and we remain in the vine, the end of the age doesn't have to be the only mechanism to separate some stuff in us. The vine, if we remain in the vine, the vine is an ongoing, everyday uh, toxin purifier. Can you use that word? So that when the end of the age comes, that which needs to be separated will be separated. But what we can clean up now, we should do. Because it's our responsibility. That's called remaining in a relationship. True? You can't remain in a relationship if you've got loads of things against people. The relationship dwindles and dwindles and dwindles till it becomes non-existent. Have you ever noticed that? But if you're going to have a pure relationship, you have to be open. So he says, leave some, there's some things in our lives, there are some things in the church, all kinds of seeds get in the church. Because not every church, believe it or not, is all for God. There's so many people got their own agenda inside church. Because churches, like many other places, they see it as a position to climb up the ladder to get noticed. So God, the end of the age will separate us and will show you what our motives were. You can be climbing the ladder only to find out that at the end of your life it was leaning against the wrong wall. You spent all your efforts in vain trying to pursue a particular area and God says, that was never my destiny for you. And all you ever did was it brought you struggle and str- never, no, never, you never felt fulfilled. And I've seen so many people fall for that kind of thing. So the end of the age will separate the genuine from the ingenuine. And we want our authentic to be, uh, sorry, our sonship to be authentic, don't we? 
So we need to make sure that the only way our sonship can ever be authentic is when we allow our hearts to be clean and pure before God. There's only one way to live before God that's clean and pure. So in Psalm 51, sorry, I haven't got the PowerPoints this morning. So, hey, I don't know. You have to use your Bible. Psalm 51 verse 15 says, Oh, Lord. Open my lips and my mouth, it will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You don't even take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. The righteous recognizing that the only type of heart that God wants is a contrite, broken heart. Amen? Because a contrite, broken spirit, I should say, a broken spirit and a broken, contrite heart can only lead to one area of purity. Can only lead to purity. Can only. So the writer is recognizing that his own heart, God didn't ask for offerings. He asked for your heart. Yeah? God didn't ask him to do something. He asked for him to surrender something. And this is the nature of what God's pursuing in us. God's not asking you for something, to do something, but he is asking you to give him something. It's a time to give him your heart so that he can clean it and cleanse it and purify it. We will not get off this until it is done. Oh, pastor, you've been speaking about this now for a long time. Please change the page. Turn over. No. (laughs) <laughs> so if my, if my doggy determination is becoming an irritant to you, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, pastor, can't you speak on something else? No. Why? Because this is what God's saying. Well, pastor, you've been on it for a long time. Great. I'm glad you acknowledged that. So when I shared with you last week regarding my relationship with my father, And my relationship with my pastor, who was my mentor, who later became my tormentor, was me modeling open transparency as a pastor before you. Because I don't want you thinking that we are not prepared to become the model. As a leadership, we must be the first to model, to show you the way. That it's possible for you to be open and transparent before people and let people learn how you, how God used you and, and you interacted with God through that process. I'm on the other side. There's no pain. There's no resentment. There's no regret. I'm on the other side. I'm free, which empowers me now to talk about it even greater. And when people receive it, now they're not receiving any embers of bitterness. It's pure, it's over, it's dealt with, it's finished. And uh, it's wonderful to be on the other side. And it's great for me to stand up and talk about it and be open because I don't feel any, atta- any emotions attached to it now because I'm through it. That's the, that's the proof I'm through it. Amen? Talking about it while you're going through it is different than talking about it when you've got the victory on the other side. Yeah, so many people want to talk about things they're going through rather than the things they've gone through and come through the other side. There's no glory in talking about what you're going through. The glory is in the victory of what you've gone through. 
Amen. So it's important that we become transparent and open before you. And um, I could have let I could have let my pain. I could have let it. Be, I could have let it sit in me to the point where I could have been disconnected. I could have become dismissive, angry, unforgiving, unlovable. I could have done that. How many of you know it's quite easy to live that life? When you feel justified, I said to Phil the other day, the one thing I don't like about God, the one thing I don't like about God is someone can do something to me and then he asks me to be responsible. Because in my carnal side, if someone does something to me that justifies me, why I should punch you? Or I should respond in kind. True? But Christianity says I don't care what they've done to the least of you, they did it to me. Right? You're responsible for how you respond to what someone else did. I say, Lord, that's not fair. He said, fair's not a fruit of the Spirit. You're right. So I don't like that part about God. I'm being honest. God says, okay, it's not meant to be liked. It's meant to be recognized. If you want to be mature, Tony, I can only... I can only Work with your maturity is when people, when things go wrong in your life. That's how I adjust. That's how I clean. That's how I purge. I said, don't like that, Lord. Tough. Man up. So, I realized that the secret of me moving from clean to pure was is that I had to acknowledge there was things wrong in me. And then, I realized that the voice of wounds, the voice of pain is very loud. And it justifies. And it identifies and all the, the other things. And, but I also realize that my spirit has to speak. My spirit also has a voice. Though my spirit was wounded and it was hurting, that my spirit wanted healing more than my soul wanted to carry the pain. But it takes one thing, and it's called, write this down, because where we're going this morning, it takes courage to embrace restoration. Courage. Great courage, because there's every reason in the book not to embrace courage. Not embrace, should I say, not, there's every reason in the book not to embrace restoration. But we've got to take courage. We've got to take courage. You see, when Pat went through her situation and she openly shared it in front of you. It was something that was very, very precious. She was willing to become open and transparent before us as a house. Yes. How many of you know that cost her to do that? Whenever, open, whenever, wherever, she, wherever there is open transparency, there's always a cost. But there is great freedom when you do it. You think, thank God I did it. Now, what you don't know is when she did that, God began to speak about her life and, and what she was going through. God dealt with it when Pastor Peter came the first time. And Pastor Peter and Karen put the finger on it. She already knew what was going on because she tried to hide it and not deal with it. But when God brought it to the point, she realized she could not run from it. It had to be dealt with in that time frame. And when she went home that night, the dice was on the table. And it's, it's, there's a chaos. It seems like chaos for that week. But then God began to restore 
what was broken so she can fly again, as the song says. But what she doesn't know is after the, oh, what she knows, she said, what you don't know is after that transition, you went through it all, da da da, a couple of weeks had gone by. Pastor Peter and I were talking, he's saying, Did she do it? I said, Yes, she did it. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. But then Pastor Peter starts talking about the purity in his own church. And he starts using Pat as an illustration. What you don't know, it had more of an effect outside this house in another nation than it did in front of you when she told you what happened. Women began to weep. Women began to come out. And God was able to purify all those women who'd kept secrets. All because of what took place here. She went global. She went international. She got no rights to it. She got no money for it. She got no recognition for it. Well, she did get recognition for it. Right? But we bragged on it because there's victory. You can brag about victory. You don't brag about the pain and what you went through. You brag about how God did it, how you had the courage to face it. And now victory is here because of it. So when that testimony starts going around, now you think, well, I don't want my testimonies going around the world. You do. Victory always does well. It sells really well, victory. It really does. But can you imagine how God can use what you go through if you will have the courage to face it and go through it? Jesus went through his his darkest moment. He believed in his father's will. He believed what he was doing was right. He went on the other side. He defeated death. He's on the other side and he's not stopped talking about it ever since. True? So if, let's learn the lesson. If Jesus can go through his stuff. Now Jesus wasn't restored because he didn't sin. But his pain and his torment, he he went through it. And he let the father deal with his heart. If there's any other way. Let it be another way. But if it's not, I'm going for it. And that was the condition that I and Pat and others have had to come through. If there's any other way, we'll do it. But nevertheless, Lord, let your will be done. He says, okay, that's the way. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. But that's the way. That's the only way for you. So when you embrace the Father's will for your life, it takes courage. So when you go through that process and you get on the other side, you get the joy of bringing other people to where you are. Because you see how powerful the enemy is in ruining people's lives. A testimony is a wonderful thing. If there's anything I thank God for, it's the testimonies that we're hearing regularly now. This house is becoming a testimony house. And it's important because as people come in and people don't have the courage to face some stuff, the more testimonies, you can't keep denying what God's doing. You can't turn around and say it's okay for them, but not for me. You can't keep saying that. Because what we're showing is God can do it with anyone. Anyone who embraces any form of transparency and accountability and go through the restoration process of that kind of thing. Because you can't be, you can't be restored unless you become transparent. You've got to talk about it. And when, you, when, when God can use that testament, it's amazing. When I talk to the guys about my father, when, I talk, when I'm going to talk to these men in a couple of weeks' time, I can't wait to talk about it. Why? Because I know it's going to set men free. Because I know there's men bound up with fathering issues. It's one of, the, it's one of the, the unspoken conversations that we need to have in our nation. Fathering is a massive issue. 
So we need to talk about it. And I'm the man to do it. Because I've got a victory in it. Amen. So testimonies are good. And the Bible says in Isaiah 57 verse 15. Isaiah 57 verse 15. For this is what the high and lofty one says. Not the pat lofty. But this is the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever. Whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place. But also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Amen. I will not accuse him forever, nor will I be angry. For the spirit of man would grow faint before me, the breath of man that I've created. God recognizes that we carry pain. But God's heart is towards us. He says he will not be against us forever for what we've done because that would crush us. In other words, he's saying if you turn towards him, he'll turn towards you. He'll turn towards you. If you embrace his word, embrace his will, embrace his way, God will turn to you. Because he does not want to see you be crushed. The enemy does. But God's not your enemy, he's your friend. He's your saviour. And God is saying, listen, God's in a higher place than where you are. And because he's in a higher place, he has a different perspective than what you have. And because he's in a holy place, he's in a pure place. And because he's in a pure place, he wants you to be where he is. That's why he says, where I go, I want you to come also. And then he says this, but you know the way. You know the way to the Father. Why? Because he's made it known to you. The Holy Spirit is showing you the way. So, here he says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place in Zion. I also with him, but also with him is who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the Lord. God wants to revive your spirit. God wants to revive your heart. He wants to return your life around. Where the, what the enemy is meant for destruction, God wants to turn it around and use it for his glory. Do you understand that church? Can you see that? Your father wants to use your life. He wants you to speak about his goodness in your life. I once was in darkness, but now I'm in light. I once walked in sadness, but now I've enjoyed the life. This is, this is the heart of the father to you. I'm not going to accuse you forever, nor will I be angry. For then the spirit of man would grow faint before me, the breath of man that I have created. So your father wants you to know his heart is towards you. He sees your pain. He sees the difficulties. But then he says this, every transparent person must possess courage. Every transparent person must possess courage. Well, we'll look at that in a minute. But in Ezekiel chapter 2, sorry, chapter 22, verse 14, he says this. Ezekiel 22, verse 14. Will your courage endure? Or your hands be strong in the day I deal with you? Oh, for I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do this. God will deal with us. But he says, will your courage endure? Will you remain and let him do what he's doing? Will you remain in the vine so that he can restore the impurity, restore the broken parts in our lives? Will you endure it? See, Hebrews talks about this. It talks about, and we'll look at this in our sonship when we, when we come to it. But one of the issues of sonship is obedience. Yeah. 
It's a prime issue of sonship. It's obedience and honor. In Hebrews 11, he says, those who will not be disciplined cannot be sons. They cannot be sons. And then it uses this phrase, for those who do that are illegitimate. But we're not illegitimate, we're sons. But the moment we fight God, we become illegitimate. Hello? God says he won't leave us as orphans. But guess what? If you remain and want to be one, he can't force you. He only works with your free will. So he says here, will your courage endure or your hands be strong in the day I deal with you? Well, I've decided that my hands have to be strong. Father, you're my father. I've seen you take me through some dark moments. I believe I can trust you to take me through some more. I'm not volunteering for them, by the way, but I know they're there. Yes? He said, for I, the Lord, has spoken, and I will do it. The Lord has spoken, and he will do it. But he won't do it just with you and him. He does it with others. He involves others in the process. Why? Because by involving others into the process, you become accountable, and you become submissive. Hello? That's how you show you are a servant of God is by humbling yourself under God's mighty hand. And then in Matthew 14, 27. So we've seen, will your courage endure or your hands be stronger the day I deal with you? I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. But in Matthew 14, 27, it says, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, Peter said, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, excuse me, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, when? when? Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you're the son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed, they landed at Gennesaret. For some of you, for some, not all, for some of you being willing to face the courage to deal with your internal issue, is your, is your issue of crossing over. This is your crossing over. For you getting in the boat and going on this journey is the issue of you crossing over. Leaving the pain on one side and being willing to embrace the freedom on the other side. This is your crossing over. Crossing over, as we said many, 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 many times, has so many connotations to it. There wasn't just one literal meaning. Any, anything that forces you or binds you, or limits you, or contains you, and wants to keep you in one place and one place only, that is a good place for you to break free to cross over. God's saying, leave that, leave the shore of that, and get in the boat and make a journey. In other words, move away from it. So for some people, this is their crossing over moment. Notice, Peter possessed courage. To get out, leaving the safety of his boat. It would have been so easy for him to stay in the boat and keep dry. Have you noticed all the others stayed in the boat? 
And when he got in the boat, where it's almost like they looked at him and went, Pillar, we told you not to get out of the boat. But it says, Peter walked. So Peter had some experience of walking on water that they didn't have. Now, how far he walked, we don't know, but he walked. So he had some experience. Yes? He got out the boat. He took courage to get out the boat. It takes courage to get out of your boat. It takes courage. It takes courage to get in, and it takes courage to get out. And sometimes you get out a little bit early, and then you have to have courage to get back in. You have to go back to where you messed up to get back in. Because in the boat, where did Jesus bring him? Back in. That's where he should have been, in the boat. Why? Because the boat was on assignment. The boat was going somewhere. He didn't leave Jesus. He could have turned around and said, oh, my hand, we'll walk together. We'll walk back. No, no, no. He put him back in the boat. Because the boat is the best place. But it's got to be the right boat at the right time going in the right place. Amen? Peter heard Jesus calling him. Many of you are hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit pursue you in this area of cleanliness and impurity. Come on, be honest with yourself. How many heard that voice? Right, Jesus is calling. It's, and thank goodness Jesus is calling you. Thank goodness that inside your heart you, are, you can discern the voice. Celebrate that. But if he's calling you and you've still been calling you two years later, guess what? You're now a disobedient son. How many of you know Jesus has got eternity, but you haven't? So when, Jesus, when Peter heard Jesus calling him, there was a distance. Watch this. There was a distance. From where Jesus was to where Peter was requires faith and courage. Now, the voice you can hear is speaking to you, but to literally... Take the courage to get out and move towards Jesus. How many of you know there are steps to be taken and there's a distance that has to be covered? You know that? Just because you acknowledge the voice and you pray one night, it didn't make it all go away. What you've lived with for years didn't go away just because you started to talk. That was the start of the process. That wasn't the conclusion. In many cases. Now, we know there are issues where you speak and you can be dealt with in a single day. We know that. But where these things are transparency and, and, and openness, it requires a process. So there was a distance. So from when my dad walked through the door to my dad walking up to me and embracing me, how many of you know there was a distance? There was a whole process involved. But I had to embrace, but I heard the voice of God calling me. Do not turn him away from the door. But everything inside my carnal nature said, shut the door, don't open the door. This is a path leading to pain. Because says, don't do it. And I'm glad I obeyed the voice of God rather than obey the voice of my pain. Because that led to a wonderful restoration. So there's a gap, there's a distance. And I had to literally climb out of my boat. My, my dad climbed out of his boat to come to me. It might have been desperacy on his behalf. I was in a secure boat. My boat wasn't broken. My life appeared that it wasn't broken, but it was. My ship was just as much shipwrecked as his. 
But because I was in here and I hadn't seen him and I hadn't dealt with anything, you only realize how shipwrecked you really are until God speaks to you about the mess. <laughs> right? You thought, oh, I'm okay. I can. It's okay as long as I don't see you forever. It's okay. If I never have, if I never have to talk to you again, I'll be okay. But how many of you know, it doesn't leave you because it talks on the inside. So you have, to, you have to get out the boat and make a journey. So we, we realize at the end of our journey, we scrapped the boat. And we built a new boat. Amen? And it was a clean and pure boat, which was meant for eternity. I'd like to think my old man crossed over. I'd like to think he made his peace with God. And hopefully, if, we get, well, if I get to heaven, because I've still got a lot of working out to do. When I, work, when I work it out and I get on the other side, I hope to see him there for eternity. My mum, my dad, it'd be great. In a pure place, no hang-ups, clean and pure. I'll recognize him. Amen? So the emphasis is not on so much how hard it is to climb out the boat, nor is it walking on the water of uncertainty. But it's about the faith and the trust and the courage you'll put in the one Who's speaking to you? It's not so much the action, it's the one asking you to make the action. Yeah? Because I believed that God is a safe set of hands. How many believe that? He's a safe set of hands waiting to hold me, support me when I fall. When Peter took his eyes off the focus and began to sink, Jesus caught in me. Immediately, because Peter made a proactive walk towards the voice that was calling him. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, the moment you walk, when the voice starts speaking and you walk towards what the, the, uh, the voice is saying to do, if you fall, immediately he'll catch you. He will not leave us on the floor a mess. What kind of father would do that? But we must take courage to believe. Have you ever, I say this very carefully now, so hear what I'm saying. The Bible tells us never to test God. But have you ever put God to the test? It might sound a paradox that. At some point, I have to test this fatherhood. I have to put, I have to see if it works. So I have no other word other than test. Might not be the right word, but. So if I step out, I've got to see if my dad's hands will, will be there. Do you understand? If he says he's faithful, at some point, I've got to put him to the test. I'm not testing like, you do this, I'll do that. But at some point, I've got to prove this genuine. I've got to work it out. I've got to conclude. I've got to consider. Okay, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. It's me, Tony. You know it's me. Come. So, okay, you put your foot out. It's like that Indiana Jones. When he puts his foot out, oh, it better be you, better be you. And until he puts his foot out, the path appears. And he's like, oh, my God. Thank goodness for that. I have to have a tangible experience that this God who says he can do what he says he can do, does it. Unless I'm willing to step out there, how will I ever know he's the God, is the restorer, is the healer? Can you see what I'm saying? It's not the same as testing him, putting him to the test. I'm not putting him to the test. I'm just trying, testing his word to see if it's true. Because he's testing me. He's testing my faithfulness. Tony, you're full of words, you're full of wind. So, 
How many of you know experience can set a whole new course? Good or bad. So many people are living by their experiences. Because our experience can either ruin us or it can really restore us. See, if I've got, a, if I've got an experience of God being a restorer, what am I doing now? I'm telling you my experience of God being the restorer. I've got a good experience. So it's now set the course of my life. If God would have said to me when my dad was at the door, you know, Tony, if you do this, I'll let you speak before men. God didn't give me a carrot. He didn't give me a carrot at all. He didn't promise me anything. He just said, don't do it. You see, when you're, when you're a parent sometimes, you've got to bribe your kids to do things. Promise them if you do this, there's chocolates. Promise them his dad will take your tatters. But there comes a time when you're a kid no more. And you've got to learn by, you've got to walk by the voice of instruction. Don't do it. That's all he said to me, don't do it. He didn't say why, he didn't say the ramifications, he didn't tell me the troubles are going to walk in. Don't do it. And that voice was strong enough inside me to say, don't do it. What did he mean when he said, don't do it? Don't do it. I don't need an explanation. I just need obedience. Now, it's not what I know that changes me, but it's what I believe about what I know. What I believe about what I know either holds, hinders, or frees and liberates me. What I know, I don't just know, I believe it. That's what makes the difference between what I know. I believe in the one I know, rather than just know about him. This is not, that's not technical, is it? I, you know, so many people talk about God, they know information about God, but they don't know God. So they don't talk about, there's no faith there, it's just information they've acquired about someone. But if I know someone, and I've seen the sincerity of the heart, I believe them. It takes the relationship a whole, you know, a new dimension. Theologians have been the worst for this. I'm not saying every theologian didn't know God. But many of them just try to work out human logic and put God in a pigeonhole, and that's God. But then the law of faith came in and tipped it all upside down. You see, knowing God and the word of faith are two different things. The word of faith is different than just faith. We'll look at that in sonship. Oh, you've got a journey to go. Acts 4, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You see, when people look at me, I've often said, I, look, I, I have been unschooled, but when you look at me, I'm not unschooled. Do you understand that? Just because I didn't excel in school, I'm not unschooled. I've learned, I've studied, I've got better. Ignorance is not an excuse. I have worked with my English, I've worked with my skills, I've worked with trying to put things down. I refuse to stay where I was. So when people see that you've been with Jesus, they take note. 
And that's when God begins to do something in your life and begins to restore your life. Ordinary men get noticed. Ordinary people get noticed. It doesn't matter. God can take ordinary men in front of kings. Because you're clean and pure. God's took you through the process. And it's those that God can present before kings and priests across the world. Ordinary men. It's amazing. The people who will, doors will open for us, church, if you just let God take you through this process. You'll talk in, in, in arenas. God will take you through in front of all kinds of people. Why? Because, it's, because you're testing in your life. Because deep down, everyone's still looking for a man. At the end of the day, God is using a man and people are looking for a man. Because in that man, they find the God. God can't show up unless he goes through a man. I want to say a man, I mean a woman and a man. Amen? And they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. You know, Paul must have had some kind of issues going on. No, the Bible doesn't talk about it. But you can't be a murderer. And sometimes at night thinking, I can't believe I persecuted these people. I can't believe that's, I remember her. I remember that woman there. Oh my Lord, don't let me see her. I I remember killing her husband. You're the kids. Can you imagine some of those kids as as he's growing up coming to see him? Yeah, you were the one who killed me, mum and dad. Don't believe he ever left him. There was memories in every village he went to. But you know, God did something in his heart that freed him from it. God had to do something supernatural in Paul's own heart to free him from that kind of history. That's enough to ruin a man. God, I, I can't even go back into that town anymore. Why? Because people remember, that, remember me there for what I was. So the only way Paul could possibly go back in there is for himself to be crucified. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. The same man who told people, whatever you've seen or heard in me, live as a pattern. There's a man who's come through the process. God this man, this man and God have, have walked together, worked together. God's cleansed his heart. He's, he's cleansed his mind of the scars, of the cries and the screams. So that it can be useful. That is the process. Every one of you has got screams in your head from something. Memories. God has to do something unique. The Bible doesn't tell us how Paul went through that process, but he must have done it. He's human. Acts 27 verse 22. Acts 27 verse 22. Now I urge you to keep up your courage. Because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. He's talking about Paul. That the sailing. This is where Paul's en route to him being uh, taken to Jerusalem. The ship takes a long route. The storms are there. And last night an angel of God whose I am. Whom I serve stood beside me and said... Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage. Men, for I have faith in God that it will happen. Just as he told me, nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. And notice what's going on here. Paul, because his experience of the one he knows, he can trust the one who's speaking. Every circumstance around him is telling him we're going to lose this ship. 
And that's good sometimes. You read the story of the ship, they even try to take the cargo. No, let it all go. Because in the cargo are memories. In the cargo is the past. Because when you're on a journey, you try to take your past with you, don't you? Sometimes you've got to cut the, the cargo loose and let it go. And when you're crossing over, you've got to come over just as you are before God. And then he says this, keep up your courage for I have faith in God. It will happen. This is the same faith that you and I from our courage must adopt when I'm, go- when I'm going to be openly transparent and accountable and let God restore me in areas of impurity. I must have faith in the God who's speaking. I must take courage in the process, knowing that it will do me good. I must face it, church. I must. This is the man, because he went through his process, he, God could entrust the lives of others into his hands. This is a man who stood, and all those men were safe because of one man on that boat. Hello? Now, I like to think, because I have worked with God in some areas, not all areas, some areas... Many of your lives can be saved because of what I went through. God has graciously graciously given me the lives of others who I can speak into and save them from their ship being run aground. We don't have to have shipwrecked faith in this house. So God uses a man. You can be that man. You can be that man. You can be that woman. But God has to trust his man And give him the lives of others who were sailing in his ship. Now let's take the pastoral ministry. I am that man. God has given me the lives. Graciously given me the lives of you. As as you begin to warm to the word. As as, as we begin to own the land of people's hearts. We can take him on a journey. As those people willingly give themselves. Because in the day of his power people willingly offer themselves. So as people give you their hearts. You're able then to protect them. You're able to bring protection to their lives, provision for their lives, and progress. Do you understand that? But God can only bring protection and progress and provision where people are willing to submit themselves. You can't expect God to do that for you and be disconnected. Because it's a word to a house. Do you understand this? So God graciously gives men and women... And you can be that man, you can be that woman in your family, in your work. You can be God's appointed person to save the lives of others under your watch. I was in my company, I was God's man on watch, keeping that company alive and keeping uh, jobs coming through. Why? Because I, a regular, stood in the gap and prayed and interceded that God would not close his company, that God would provide. God was the provider. And every time I prayed, orders would come in. When I left that company, that protection is somebody else's responsibility. It's not mine. I did what I had to do for me and for them. I knew as I spoke it for me, they would come into it. It's not arrogance. I know with certainty that the God of heaven is watching over me. So this is when you realize that God can, God can use you to speak on behalf of many. It's a very powerful place to be, church. It's a very powerful place. When a parent stands up and speaks into a family, you have the lives of your children in your hands. That's your role to speak to your family. Well, you go into the workplace 
and you have influence and God gives you a measure of influence, God gives you the responsibility. The life of that company can literally be in your hands. It's so powerful. This is what it means to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. You can save people from going down into the pit. And even if they won't come to faith, you can still influence them so that they won't shipwreck the life. You believe that? So, Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, he says, I eag- verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in my body, then this will remain fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Wow. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Wow. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ will overflow on account of me. That's that man again. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for faith, for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who would oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. Paul has motives, even though he's the man, the motives of his heart are pure. What I believe, I take courage in. Write that down. What I believe, I, will t- I must take courage in. Because if I don't take courage in it, what's the point of believing in it? What I believe, I take courage in. I believe that Carol loves me. So I take courage in that, that I know that in my house, my wife loves me. I know my wife Loves me. I know my kids love me. But more they like me more than they love me at times. Because if you're the one that brings order, they just like you. Yeah? I know my kids love me. They don't always know how to show it. So therefore, I will show it to them so they will have an idea of how to show it back. Does that make sense? I will become the model. Even, you know, very often I don't like what my kids do, but it doesn't stop me loving them. But I will continue to love them in the hope that they will learn, oh, that's how you love. That's how you say you're sorry. That's how you give someone a hug. That's how you respect your mum. That's how you respect your dad. Yes, someone has to be the model. And guess what? How many of you know if you're a parent, you do it for years and years and get nothing back? And you think, why do I do this? Because that's the role. Someone has to keep sending the signal out. So slowly but surely, the penny drops, they get mature, one day they say something to you, and all those years they didn't say something, that's one word, you think, that was worth it. And that one word brings healing to your soul. You think, oh Lord, he's not stupid. There is something going on in there. Anyone felt like that? 
If you're waiting for your kids to tell you they love you, you might wait a long time. But nevertheless, keep doing it. Keep loving them anyway. If you're waiting for your pastor to tell you he loves you, you might wait a long time. (laughs) You know why? Because what you want to hear might not be necessarily what you need to hear. And if that's the only filter you've got, doesn't matter what I'm trying, I've got to show you in other ways, I love you enough to lead you. You know, when you lead your children, you, lead, you love them enough to lead them, don't you? You don't always tell them, when they were kids, you say, mommy loves you, daddy loves you. But when he's 16, 17, daddy doesn't love you the same way he loved you when you were six. Daddy still loves you. Man up. Go and clean your room, you tyke. Love is expressed a different way. But if Scott wants me to keep saying, daddy loves you, daddy's not going to do that. Because it's not right for daddy to talk like that anymore. Weirdo. Listen to what Paul says. I eagerly expect and hope that I in no way will be ashamed. I eagerly expect. When I begin to embrace the courage to go through, I expect. I eagerly expect and I hope that I will in no way be ashamed. Is that not fair to say? When I embrace my restoration... The thing I feared the most is that I would be ashamed and I would be hurt. But God says, Tony, there's a distance, remember? Can you hear the voice? Yes, follow it. And as you start following, you feel the intimacy and cleanliness and closeness of God as you make that step. But it was a distance away. But I, Lord, I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to be hurt. He says, you'll not be ashamed because you're obeying my voice. That's courage to believe that voice will hold you. Amen? But he will have sufficient, listen, I expect, I eagerly expect and hope, this is what Paul was saying in the breakdown of this verse, uh, this uh, Philippians. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will, ha- but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. Whether life or in death. Christ needs an opportunity to be exalted in me and in you. He's waiting for the opportunity to be exalted, praised. That's why standing on the other side, talking to people about what you go through at the right time, not just talking about what you're going through, the right time, the right way, ministering to people what you go through, not just talking about what you go through. Ministering. See, what I go through, what I went through last week, I didn't take up the whole morning about me. I ministered Christ's word and brought me into it and then continued ministering Christ's word. I was, only one, I was only one part of that message. I wasn't the message. Does that make sense? That's what I mean about ministering to people through the pain rather than talking about yourself. I'm a minister of this gospel. You must minister and show people how God what God's word says and how you align yourself to God's word. Your word is that your experience is the testimony. Your story is not the story. Does that make sense? So as I eagerly expect and I in no way will be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that not as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Give Christ an opportunity to be exalted. Give him an opportunity. 
Number two, if I'm going to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? There's a choice to be made. If we're going to go on, guys, if we're going to continue on and not run our, our race in vain, then we, it must produce in fruitful labor in our body. In our mind, in our emotions, in our subconscious, God wants us to be fruitful in every area. If we're going to go on, don't keep going on in pain. Go on and let the fruitful labor take place in your body. Does that make sense? Let it come in. I can't say this any clearer I'm trying to say it. You know, I'm, I'm asking God, give, give me other words to keep explaining. I want to give you no reason not to embrace this. If I'm going to go on living, are you going to go on living? Or are you going to go on surviving? There's a choice. Do you want to survive or do you want to live? That's your choice. Your choice. But if you're going to go on living, then it's going to mean something different. You're going to go on surviving, that's, that's going to mean a whole different kind of scenario. But to live and move away from it, you're going to have to embrace some things. You're going to have to choose. Paul says, I have this choice. It's far easier for me. It's far easier for me to be this way. It's far easier for me to disconnect from this life and cross over and go with God. Because I know that's the place of eternal peace. But nevertheless, for you lot, he says, for you, I'll stay. Wow. Now that is a man who's crossed over. When he can make a decision for the benefit of others rather than himself. Knowing he still knew that he would have to go to Jerusalem and die. And yet he still says these things. If I can spend six more years, five more years, ten more years with these guys. And take them through the next level. It's been worth it. So he makes a choice to stay there for however long it was. I'm saying that to the point he, uh, he's actually beheaded in Jerusalem. I don't know what the length of time. But he makes a choice to be with the better for the good. That's restoration. If somehow, God, you can use me to speak to others who are locked in this same situation. Lord, I'll stick it. I'll endure the process. Wow. I know you don't think of others when you're going through darkness. He's so, so consumed that we understand that. But give God an opportunity. Let him be exalted in your body. Then he says, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. You see, when we talk about God's going to give us progress, we think sometimes that God's just going to do it on his own. No, God has to use people to labor so you can progress. Do you know your boss... Your boss is laboring so you still got a job. He's laboring so that you and everyone else under that company can still progress and enter prosperity. Everyone's doing something for not only themselves, but for others. We have to protect industry. So we have to make choices and decisions that will ensure the longevity of jobs. That's progress. So when you go to work and you do your job, what you do can ensure the longevity of other people. Depending what sphere of influence you have, you can make a tremendous difference in your work. Your work can give you opportunities to touch people's lives in ways that you could never, ever imagine. Soci socially, never mind Christianity. 
So we're always working for the benefit of others, not just for what I can get out of it. That's kingdom. I know that I'll remain and I'll continue with all of you for your progress and your joy in the faith. And then he says, whatever happens, and here it is, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a worthy manner of the gospel. I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way. See, there's the courage. Not being frightened, embracing it, going all the way for the benefit of others. Church, the dream center does not exist for you only. It exists for the benefit of others, whoever the others are. No, I don't know how many, I can't count them, but it's for others. It's for you, it's for us, it's for me, but it's for others. See, when we're laboring next door, if you babysit, you're just doing it for us. If I put a babysitter next door, I'm, be- I'm babysitting for your benefit. Does that not, is that not fair? Well, you're in here enjoying. If we're babysitting, well, then we're doing it for your benefit. But if we're raising your children, we're not, no longer doing it just for you. We're doing it for the benefit of others. Now we're supplying the future with what it needs, our children. We are raising so we can supply our own future. Amen? And the future of of a generation, because we don't know what our, our God will use our kids in the days ahead. But we are supplying the future with our children. Get that into your mind. That's what's taking place. That is a revelation on its own. Why we do what we do? We are supplying the future with its needs. And our kids are the future's needs. You and me, in many ways, are today's needs. We're the solution to today's needs. But our kids are tomorrow's needs. Young ones I'm on about. And then in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 6. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house if we hold on to our courage. And hope of which we boast. But Christ is faithful as a son. Not Not only do I want you to see that he's exalted. I want you to see that he's faithful as a son. And we are his house. We. Not this. We are his house. And if we hold on to our courage and our hope of which we boast, all that becomes a reality. Last scripture. John sixteen thirty three. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There's no reason why we can't embrace the courage to take the journey of entering into purity and transparency and accountability. The scripture is full of accountability. The scripture is full of transparency. It's amazing. I I saw little bits of it throughout scripture, but it's not until... I began to look at this thing and God began to show me. The scripture's full of accountability and, trans- and transparency. Full of it. It's filled with it. And in, in the West, we think if we talk about transparency and accountability, it makes it sound, it can appear like we're trying to control people. It has nothing to do with control. It says submit to one another. If we all submit to one another, it's a level playing field. What's controlling about if we all do it? 
If, only, if I'm trying to get you to do it and nobody else is doing it, that's controlling or that can be manipulating, that can be domineering. But it's, it's a royal command. Love one another as Christ has loved us. Submit to one another out of reverence. Think of others higher than yourself. Don't think more highly of yourself, but consult others. Think about others. It's not dominant. It's not manipulative at all. It's Bible. And I have this conviction in my heart that if we move into, listen to me, church, if we move into this and take the courage to go down this road, we will have a church that so, that so we will have a church in our nation that many don't have. You want a church with a difference, you want to go to the next level, this is it. This will make us a church with a difference, where people honour one another, submit to one another, have a reverence for our God, where people grow together, where people are transparent before one another, in its right context, in its right areas, at the right time, in the right place, over the right areas, the right issues. I didn't say you have to go and tell everybody your family business. We're not saying tell everybody your family business. We're talking about those areas where you're unclean. Where you're unclean by talking and submitting and transparent, you can, others can help you come into purity. If you've got savings, I didn't say come and bring your bank statement in front of me. I don't need to know what you've got in your bank. That's your business. True? I don't need to know if you've had, if you've been married before. But if you're struggling with issues, I might need to know that. Does that make sense? So, we will pursue. We will pursue. I believe in the role and the work of the Father. And because I believe in the role of the work of the Father, Jesus and the Holy Ghost, I take courage in that. I, I believe in the fa- that my Father is my gardener. And I believe, because I believe that my Father is the gardener, I take great courage in that. That he will cut off every branch in me that does not bear fruit. I believe that the Holy Ghost is my teacher. He's my counsellor. He is my conviction. He is my comforter. How many of you believe that? Have you got the courage to let him do that? Have you got the courage to let him become your teacher? Your counsellor? Have you got the courage to listen to his rebuke? You must take courage in what you believe. Jesus is, I believe that Jesus is my healer, is my reason, is my hope, is my deliverer, is my redeemer. He is my way, he is my truth, he is my life, but I must take courage. When he tells me to walk in this way, it's because he's the life, it's because he's the way. It's no use saying I believe something but never have the courage to embrace it. Wow. Wow. We're going to a whole new level, church. We're going to a whole new level. Wow, let's stand to our feet. Could go on, but I won't. This week at our authentic sonship, we talked about submitting who we are, what we are, so that we don't run our race in vain. Anybody remember that? Paul did that so because he had a concern and a fear that he could be running his race in vain. You see, when you don't, when you won't open your heart to others and to God, 
you'll run your race in vain. You'll run your own way, at your own pace, in your own direction. But it's only as you speak to others and you let others speak into your life, you realize the path you're going in is the wrong way. And it's amazing how many lives get destroyed and people run this way. But the moment they start letting someone speak into them, it's amazing how God can bring the life back and peace and progress and prosperity and protection. All those things that they could have had, but because they didn't listen and wouldn't listen and let anybody speak, it could have saved him years of misery. Paul says, that I would, you know, to the weak I became weak. Why? So that I could help him. I believe in this course of action is the right course of action. How can you fight purity? How can you fight honesty and truth? Walk in the light as in the light. I know you all believe it, but your problems walking in it because your fear of being shamed. Your father will not shame you. I take his word right now. Father, you will not shame us. You will not let our foot slip. You will not expose us beyond the level that needs to be exposed. You will not embarrass us. You will not shame us. You will protect us. So Father, right now, I embrace my shame. I embrace my uh, volatility. I embrace my weakness. I embrace my internal struggles. Father, and I bring it under heaven right now. And I say, Father, under your hand, your hand is able not only to protect me, but to catch me, to hold me, to keep me, to draw me unto you. Father, draw me by your spirit to your bosom. Oh, go and pray that prayer. Lord, let there be no darkness in me whatsoever. Let the light of your word enter and flood into my life. Let every shaft of light beam into my life. Let it expose every falsehood, every shame, every insecurity, every weakness in my heart. Let your light shine, O God. Turn up the power in me, O God. I expose myself before Almighty God. I will not be like Adam. I will not run. I will not hide and try and sow fig leaves on me. Because I'm ashamed of my nakedness. Lord, I will embrace the nakedness that you want me to have before your throne. I cannot hide from you anyway. I cannot cover my shame, oh God. I ask you, oh God, when you cover my shame, it's never to be exposed again. So Father, this morning, I ask, oh God, I will not be part of the Adam company. I will become like the Paul company, who for others, people's sake, realized that if he was going to continue, his labor would be fruitful in his body. I take courage in this. I take courage and moral strength. Come on, take courage this morning. Take courage, ask the Holy Spirit to give you courage to endure, courage to face, courage to overcome, courage to open up, to begin the dialogue, courage to take the journey, courage to let go, irrespective of how others have wronged you and hurt you. Courage. Courage. See, my father was on the other side of the door. I could see it. He was transparent in one sense. The, the mirror of the glass of the door made him transparent. But guess what? The mirror of my heart wasn't. 
My dad was on the other side. I could see him physically. But either one of us couldn't see what was on each other, inside of each other's hearts until the door was opened. And the door physically was only the first step. The door of my heart had to be opened. It was only until I opened the door of my heart that I let my father into my life. It wasn't the physical door that brought my father closer to me. It was the emotional, the spiritual door of my heart that had to open. My father was like Jesus many, many times. He was stood at the door knocking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He was on the outside of my heart. But I had to make, I had to let him put his, his hand in my latch of my heart. And open up my heart so that he could walk, so we could embrace one another at the level we found. Oh church, don't keep your saviour on the outside. Keep him on the inside. Don't let him knock on the door forever. Make a pledge today with him today. I'll embrace it. I'm going all the way. My, my labor will not be unfruitful. It will be fruitful. Go on. Go on. Talk to him right now. Dialogue with him. Don't miss the moment. Oh, my God. My God. My God. My God. Embrace him. Embrace him. Don't leave him on the other side of the door. You can see what I'm saying is right. I know you know what is being said this morning is right, but having the courage to open up the door of your own heart. Oh, you had the courage to open the front door this morning and walk in it, but that's not the door that God wants to walk in. The door that God wants to walk in this morning is your heart. Oh, my Lord, don't build the layers up. Let all the layers go. Mighty God. Mighty Father. You know, this, this week... I almost changed the direction of where I was going and I, I was struggling in, in what to say and where to go. And, but I'm glad I stood on this path. I'm glad I stayed where it was and God's made it easy for me to speak about this. But on Friday, I was struggling with it. Didn't have much light or revelation, but yet God is just convincing me more and more. Tony, stay on this. As you speak on it, I'll give you energy and life and grace to bring the people through. Tony, stand because the lives of your people depend on you. Bring them through, cross them over so you can present them before me. That's the work. That's the work of the ministry. The labor that's in, upon our lives is to stay on course, crossing the people over. Because God wants a pathway of Zion into our hearts. Amen. Amen, church? Come on, the amen is said by you and me. Oh, Father, right now, Lord, cover us, protect us, cause progression to come in our lives. From this day on, oh God, you've activated something in our hearts this morning. Oh God, pursue us. Don't let us go until we're through. Until we're through, oh God. Let this house become transparent. Let it become like the floor in the, in the book of Revelation, the sea of glass, where you can see from heaven right through.